in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and, available, and versions which are available at the back. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. The second reading is from John chapter 7, verse 25 to 29, and this can be found on page 1072 in the Red Bibles. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. And then continuing from verse 40 to 43. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus, the people were dis- divided because of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please, yes, do take a seat. You might find it helpful particularly to have that Micah passage uh, open. Uh, We've been looking in the last few weeks at uh, God's promised king and thinking about what that promised king is going to be like, what God told us in advance he's going to be like, asking lots of questions about the kind of king it'll be. Uh, And the question today for God's promised king is where is he from? Where is he from? Now, I'm uh, involved with working with students. So every September, we get a whole batch of new students in uh, uh, to church. And it is a question I ask people quite a lot. Where are you from? Where are you from? And um, it's one of those questions I didn't used to really think about. It's just, you know, a bit of welcome and information and trying to get to know somebody a little bit. But as you might know, it's been a question that's been in the news in the last couple of weeks. And actually, it's a question that can cause pain, offense, trouble, 
and difficulty. And so I, I hadn't thought much about it as a question before. It was just one of those things you ask. But the last couple of weeks have made me step back and think about it a little bit more. And when you think about that question, it's actually a bit more complicated than you think. Because it's actually quite a vague question. Where are you from? Because it could mean lots of different things, couldn't it? Here are four things it could mean. It could mean, where do you live? Which I guess for many of us in the room today, uh, we'd probably say Manchester's where I live. But if someone asks you where you're from, you might not answer Manchester even if you live here, right? Because when you hear that question, you might actually think they're asking you, where did you grow up? Or where do you think of as home? Where were you born? Or you might even think people are asking you, well, where's your heritage or your origins? If you go back a few generations, where are your family from? Now, I guess each of us, when you hear the question, where are you from, one of those four, or maybe something else, might come to the front of your mind. You might think, well, what they're really asking me is question two. They want to know where I grew up. But actually, it is a fairly vague question. And because people might think what's being asked is slightly different, it is possible for it to create a lot of confusion. And in that confusion, there can be the chance for pain and offence and difficulty. And just think how it would feel to be asked that question and to give your answer only for someone to say, no, no, that's not right, and ask it again. Actually, that, that feels a bit intrusive, a bit aggressive. Why wouldn't you accept my answer? Why are you trying to put me in a box somewhere? And it's worst when you keep getting asked that question. It could make you feel like you don't really belong, that you're not really welcome. And so actually, when you step back and think about it, it is quite a potentially difficult question. Maybe you picked up in our second reading in John, Jesus actually experienced that. People asked Jesus or or spoke about Jesus, didn't even ask him sometimes, uh, about where he was from, thought they knew him, put him in a box and made him feel unwelcome and like he didn't belong and he wasn't right and his face didn't fit because of where he was from or where they thought he was from. He knows what it feels like to be spoken to like that. Well, that where are you from question is the question we're going to look at with reference to Jesus. Uh, We're going to think about what the Bible promised about where Jesus was from through Micah and how Jesus fulfilled it. And we're going to see that it is wonderful and surprising in lots of different ways. So we'll start with Micah's promise, which really God's promise, but I've called it Micah's promise because it's in the book of Micah. And uh, we'll then go on to Jesus' fulfillment. So the first thing is Micah's promise. And Micah's promise is that there'll be a Bethlehem boy. A Bethlehem boy. But to understand this promise really well, we need to know a little bit of the history of the time. So we started our series thinking about David and God's promise to David. Now, David ruled uh, a couple of hundred years before Micah. And he ruled, and we've got a map here, uh, he ruled one united kingdom. 
uh, of Israel. All 12 tribes of Israel were united under King David. But then about 50 years after David, uh, there was a split. So we've got an next map here, a split. And the kingdom split into two. Uh, Judah, which was the southern part of what used to be Israel, and then the northern kingdom kept the name Israel. Uh, and they had a falling out, and so they split, and they had two different kings. And they, they carried on like that for about 200 years. But then when Micah came to the throne, uh, uh, next map I think has this on, uh, Israel there, you might be able to see those two arrows, Israel allies with a country called Aram. And they get together and they decide they're going to attack Judah. So their armies come down to attack Judah and they surround Jerusalem, the capital, with their armies and put it under what's called a siege. Uh, So the the army surrounds so no one can get out uh, and they're they're under pressure in the town of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, And so poor old Judah is feeling really like they've been bullied and threatened and they're surrounded and they're in danger. Now the king in Judah at the time is a king called Ahaz. But Ahaz doesn't trust God or ask him to help. What Ahaz does instead, and we've got the next map, is he calls the king of Assyria. Now, you see Israel and Judah, just that tiny little bit down in the corner there. Assyria controls basically all the rest of that map. So Assyria are huge and powerful. And Ahaz says, I need help. I know who can help me. He pays the king of Assyria a huge bribe, a load of money. And then he puts up an idol. And an altar in God's temple in Jerusalem to one of the Assyrian gods. He says, Assyria, you're going to be our rescuers. Not God. Assyria, you're going to come and rescue us. And Assyria does come. And they conquer Israel and Aram. And guess where that leaves Judah? Surrounded by Assyria. And guess what happens next? Guess what the king of Assyria and his army do? They march up to Jerusalem as well. And they put Jerusalem under a siege as well. It wasn't a great idea for Ahaz to trust the Assyrians. Because they decided they wanted to conquer Judah as well. Well, they're the days of Micah. The days of weak kings who can't defend their people against their enemies. Where they make political deals and backstab each other. Uh, They're weak They're corrupt and they're humiliated by being put under a siege. And and that's what Micah is speaking into. So Micah 5 verse 1, uh, actually very difficult to translate. There are three different translations I found in three different versions. The one we've got, marshal your troops, city of troops. The New Revised Standard Version says, now you are walled around with a wall. Uh, And another version says, now you will give yourself deep wounds of grief. Um, the Hebrew is really difficult, really complicated. No one's quite sure what it means. But it seems to mean, Jerusalem, you're in a tight spot. You either need to get ready for a fight or you're just completely surrounded or whatever it is. You're in trouble because the king of Assyria and all his army are around you. And it's so bad, they will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. That means Israel's king is going to be humiliated. The days of Micah are days of weak, corrupt, humiliated leaders. And they need someone. They need a rescuer, a a savior to help them out of this mess. And, And that's when God promises, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, 
Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. God promises, what you need, I'll give for you. Bethlehem means house of bread. Ephrathah means fruitful. This is supposed to be a place where you can be provided for. Uh, So if you're a city under siege, now one of the things about being surrounded by an army is you can't get any food or water. You really feel the need to have provision. And God says, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, that place of provision. From there, I'm going to give you what you need. And what you need is a good king because your kings are rubbish. You need a proper ruler who will help you. And this king, again, like Pete said, doesn't come from the big city, the capital. He comes from a small place. Bethlehem is a little town. We know that. We sing it every year, don't we? Bethlehem is a little town. And this is just how God works, isn't it? He uses what's small and little and humble and insignificant. And with that, he can overthrow an empire. Because that's the kind of God God is. And yet, although this king will be from a small place, he'll have ancient origins. Origins from of old, from ancient times. God is going to provide just the king they need. Verse 3 is just saying to them that even though God is promising to do this, it will take some time. It's not going to happen right away. They're going to have to wait. They're actually going to have to go off into exile for a while. Uh, This will be a time of waiting. Now, we get this, don't we, at Christmas time. Maybe some of the children who are in with us know all about this. Maybe your decorations are up. Maybe you've got your Christmas tree up. Maybe there are even some wrapped presents under the tree already if you're very, very organized. There's none at ours, don't worry. Um, And you know something good's coming, something good's coming, but you have to wait. You have to wait for it. Well, God had promised his people something good's coming. You're going to have a wonderful king, but you're going to have to wait. But when he gets here, boy, will he be worth it. Look at verse 4. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Their leaders are weak. They're going to have a strong one. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, they will live securely. Enemy armies won't be running through their towns anymore. His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And maybe you're picking up some of the ideas, some of the threads we've been seeing in the last few weeks. This king's going to be a shepherd who looks after his people. This king is going to be a priest, a a godly person who does stuff with God and for God. Uh, This king is from Bethlehem, which is the place where David was born. So he's from the house of David, the line of David as well. All these threads are coming together in this one king who will be strong and majestic and protect God's people from their enemies. And of course, it's no surprise to us by now, is it, that it's Jesus who fulfills these things. And yet, when Jesus fulfilled these things, it was surprising to the people in his day. Maybe you heard when that reading from John uh, we had earlier came up. Do you notice all the people? What? This one? Really? Him? But he's from the wrong place. We're not supposed to know where the Messiah is from, but we know where Jesus is from. 
Or, I thought the Messiah was supposed to be from Bethlehem, uh, but Jesus is from Galilee, from Nazareth. All sorts of confusion. Because, you see, in the Old Testament, as well as this passage in Micah, uh, which says the king will be born in Bethlehem, there is also this sense in which the king to come is mysterious and unknown. You even get it there, don't you, when it says his origins are from of old, from ancient times. Uh, And that's why some people thought they weren't supposed to know where the Messiah came from. And on the other hand, there are other bits of the Old Testament which say he's going to have a connection with Galilee of the Gentiles. Bits that say he'll be a Nazarene. There's so many different promises and expectations that you think, how on earth can one person do all that? And yet, if we think about that question again, where where are you from? And we ask that question of Jesus, but we think about those four levels. Well, where did Jesus live? Well, nowhere, really. He wandered around from town to town proclaiming the good news. Where did he grow up? Well, he did grow up in Galilee, in in Nazareth. That's one of the things they they say in that John reading. Galilee? The Messiah can't come from Galilee. That's a, a nowhere place. But where was he born? He was born in Bethlehem, which is where Micah promised. But where are his origins? Actually, his origins are from eternity, from heaven itself, the throne of the Father. And so in this way, Jesus is able to fulfill every promise and every expectation of the Old Testament that that was there about the Messiah. And yet, isn't it amazing, even though Jesus did exactly what God promised, when he turned up, people were surprised. People went, no, can't be him. He's not from the right place. He's not the right kind of king. He's not the kind of king we want. He doesn't look proper. But that's exactly the kind of king God promised in Micah, right? One that didn't come from Jerusalem, but came from little Bethlehem. They couldn't handle this kind of king. Uh, A king from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth, it says in John. He came to his own, and his own wouldn't receive him. You don't belong here, Jesus. You're not the kind of king we want. God can keep every promise, fulfill all expectation, and yet it's still completely unexpected. I guess that prepares us for a saviour, a king, who's going to win his greatest victory by seeming to lose. A king who wins his greatest victory by dying on a cross. No other king would ever win like that. But I guess that's exactly the kind of king we expect who's been promised to us by this kind of God. A God who's perfectly faithful, who keeps all his promises, and is yet still... Entirely unexpected. Well, so what? So what for us that we have this kind of king? I think there are three so what's. Here's the first one. Jesus knows your struggles. We, we say that, don't we? There's that bit in Hebrews that says we have a priest who's able to sympathize with us in every way. Because he's been through what we've been through. And we sort of think, yeah, he's been human like us, but... But have you ever been made to feel like you didn't fit somewhere? 
you didn't belong. Jesus knows that experience too. Sadly, sometimes people experience that in church. Where that has happened, we as Christians need to repent. We need to say, I'm, I'm really sorry that that's the way you've been made to feel. Maybe even by us. It is totally inappropriate in a church, isn't it? Because we're the people of a king like this. It's totally inappropriate that people would feel like that. And yet Jesus knows those struggles. He knows what it feels like. So what, number two, uh, Jesus keeps his promises. God keeps every one of his promises completely, fully, and exactly. Even when it looks impossible. How can one person be from Bethlehem and yet Nazareth and Galilee and, uh, and yet have this mysterious origin so that he's unknown where he's from? Yet Jesus does it. God keeps what even look like impossible promises. Isn't that a comfort? Sometimes you might look at the world or look at the Bible and the world together and go, I don't see how this current mess of a place that we're in is ever going to come to this kind of perfect ending that God promises. Remember this, God keeps all his, all his promises even when it looks impossible. Even when we look around for leadership and think it's lacking and, and we need a new leader, well, God provides it for his people. He's done it before, and he's now given us a king who reigns forever. But, but here's, the, here's the final thing. Jesus still has surprises. Those people who were there in, in John's gospel, they knew all the promises in the Old Testament. They knew them back to front. They read them forward, backward, everywhere. Yet they were still surprised. And that's really challenged me this week. Because I know God's promises for the future, the new heaven and the new earth. And it's easy to sort of map out in my head, well, this is sort of how I think it's going to go. And this week I've been really challenged to think, yes, God will fulfill those promises. But I expect I'll be surprised along the way. I expect he won't do it exactly like I think he will. And that should challenge and encourage each and every one of us day by day. Is Jesus not quite what you expect? Does he not do what you expect day by day? Is following him not what you expected? Is being part of his church not what you expected? Well, what do you expect from a God like this? From a king like this? But while the fulfillment may be a surprise we can be confident that the promise is secure because the promised king has come and is reigning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these promises from Micah and all the promises we've seen about your king, the king who will be forever, the king from the line of David, the king who is a priest, who is godly, the king who is a shepherd, the king who is one who wins safety and security for his people, who can defeat his enemies, the king who is yet humble, looking always to the interests of others, the king who is promised and yet unexpected. Thank you for the wonderful 
paradoxes of Jesus. The glory and the beauty and the greatness. May we meditate on that this Christmas. And may our hearts be gladdened and warmed that we have such a king. In Jesus' name, amen.